listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey. Everybody, I hope you're having such an amazing week. My week is about to get so much better right now because I'm telling you, I'm so excited about our next guests. Let me just start off by saying that I'm that girl that only watches reality television if there's something worth watching. I have not gotten into the Real Housewives or I've not really followed The Bachelor. But when I heard of this next show, I could not wait to peel apart the characters and the story behind it because it was so close to home. And I am talking about House of Ho, the HBO Max original that's going to premiere this Thursday, December 10th on HBO Max. Yo, first of all, to have a reality series that is featured on an Asian family, let alone a Vietnamese family, let alone a successful, breathing, thriving Vietnamese family, I am so honored and and high key like curious about how this all came together so welcome to the room right now i have the members of the house of ho in the house live and direct i've got judy i've got a washington i've got leslie and i've got aunt tina in the house hi guys hi yes it's good good to see you guys i feel like i should also just you know in vietnamese we say hello but we also chào and i don't know who's older or who's younger than me but i want to say chào cô chào anh chào em thank you so much for being here you guys i'm so proud so i personally heard of this project because after the success of um uh so many other asian you know projects and shows that we saw in media and, and television we still haven't had a family that we got to showcase so the house of ho idea the idea of featuring a vietnamese family or an asian family in success has been around for a long time but no network has actually been able to do it so how did you guys get approached with the idea i, I first heard about it through uh, a friend of mine from california she's one of the co-eps uh, rosalina gave me a call this shout was- out to rosalina who happens to be a mutual friend of ours right. and when you heard about it were you like Okay, I'm not I'm not into TV and being, you know, featured in a reality series. Like what came through your mind? When I first heard about it, I was like, you know, what do I have to do? And, you know, she was like, just be yourself. And I said, you know, which version of Washington do you want? <laughs> that part. I go, I can't go back to my 20s when you think I'm interesting because I'm married now and I would be single pretty quickly if I was like that. And she's like, no, you know, we're going to watch how you're going to grow up. And I'm like, you know, I'm 37. I'm not going to show people that side of me. And, you know, as we talked more, you know, she made me realize that I was doing something for a higher purpose. That purpose was to open up doors for other Vietnamese that have worked really hard, such as yourself, to be in this media industry, this Hollywood industry, and that, you know, most people don't have these opportunities. Absolutely. You know, I think in the business, the things that people will or or may or may not associate with specifically the Vietnamese culture, which is also kind of linked with the Chinese culture, because, you know, uh, you know, we our rotters run very similar with each other, even though they're very different. Vietnamese are very different from Chinese, but we get looped together. The only successes we've heard of that become household names are things like Sriracha, right? Sriracha happens to be, you know, Vietnamese, um, Chinese family, um, things like Crustacean, which is a very famous Vietnamese restaurant that blew up now in, in L.A., based out of San Francisco. There's not a lot of big Vietnamese successes out there. For you guys, what 
what does it feel like to now put your family on blast when it comes to like the family that made it and have Ho become much more than what we've known that to mean out here in these streets? You know, what, what is that like for you guys? Um, you know, at first, Washington told me I was going to be in the background. Me and him have very opposite personalities. But I feel, you know, it's, it's a, I'm a little apprehensive. I, I don't know what to expect. I hope everybody has a positive feeling after they watch this. Um, I just hope that we made our parents proud. You know, we wouldn't be here without them. We, we wouldn't have this show without them. They are the embodiment of the American dream. And they are the ones that we aspire to. And I hope that everyone else can see that when they watch the show. Absolutely. So what was life like for you guys growing up? For me, I grew up in the Bay Area, right? I am one of two, three kids. So my brothers are younger than me. I'm Jaito. My, my Vietnamese name is Kamto, but obviously my mom had bigger dreams when she had me. She rushed herself to the hospital. My dad came in later on. So she happened to be in the hospital room bargaining with the doctors about which room is the cheapest so she can just have me and get out of there because she thought it was like rent by hour. And as soon as her pain started kicking in, my dad told me when she walked in, when he walked in, he overheard my mom saying, what the epidural for? I don't want to do how, why so expensive? My insurance, it'll cover that. And they're like, well, epidural is. No Vietnamese, that's how Vietnamese mom. It's recommended for you. We want to save you from the pain. And she said, no, I don't pay for that. You put the TV on, turn something. I make me forget. So she turned on Dream of Genie. I Dream of Genie, the series. And oh, I was born. Oh. And so because she dreamed of having a daughter and she was watching oh. a show that saved her money from an epidural, I got named Jeannie. So, wow. <laughs> right. So from then on, my life in San Jose has been purely Vietnamese. And when I say this, I say this with utmost pride because my entire identity is, is my culture, even though I am an American. So as soon as my parents had stable jobs, they sponsored over the rest of the family from Vietnam that weren't able to come over. So we had 15 people living in a three-bedroom home. Um, my mom hustled on the side as a wedding singer while my dad worked you know, as an engineer in one of the companies that, that started up before Google and things like that when the dot-com hit. My aunts ran a sewing business in the garage right next to the pots when we ate lao and, and things like that that smelled too strong to cook in the, the, the kitchen. We had Paris by night, every night playing on TV. If anybody knows, shout out to Vietnamese people out there who knows what the um, Paris by night series was. And I spoke hardcore Vietnamese up until I was seven years old because my mom did not want me to become so American that I forgot my culture. Through that, I really learned how to stand up for myself, learned, up, learned how to stand up for my culture. And even though I am proud of being Vietnamese, I'm that girl who does not know how to cook rice. I know good pho, but I can't make it. I um, did not do well in school. I hated school and I absolutely loved making out with boys, even though my parents were like so strict and down my neck about who I was dating. So just give me a tidbit of like what your life was like. What was it like for the hoes? I remember for us growing up, I remember my first memory is that my parents had a convenience store. When they first came to America, my dad was a gas attendant and my mom was a lunch lady at a college. So that's how humble their beginnings are. Um, obviously they didn't speak English. I mean, me and Washington were in ESL until we were third grade. And I didn't even understand that ESL was like, people laugh at us about it. Yeah. <laughs> when we graduated from it, I was like, oh, we, we were the only ones in that class. <laughs> so um, by the time we were seven or eight, they had a convenience store. 
And every Saturday and Sunday, we would drive to the store and check up on it. We were counting the coupons. We were like at the end of the week, they would collect the money. And I'm like counting the dollar bills and putting their wrapper in it so they could go to the bank, rolling the quarters in those little brown paper bags. Yeah. Yeah. So me and Washington, I remember every Monday, that's what we did. Because that was about the Twinkie. You always had to go home with the Twinkie. Oh, when, yeah. When we went to the convenience store, you know, mom and dad were like, you can pick whatever you want. So we thought we got made, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, we're good. So after one convenience store, my parents started buying more and more. And after a few, they opened a supermarket. And then my dad started getting into real estate. You know, it was really dangerous in Houston back then. The convenience stores, they were getting a lot of robberies. And one of the employees um, like died. And then my parents were like, this is too dangerous for us. We're going to get out of it. Because it was open 24 hours. And I was always in these really, like, ghetto neighborhoods where there's a lot of crime. Um, you know, that's they, where you make the money. I know. You know, they would take the cigarettes and take them out and sell them one by one. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Where it's illegal to do that. <laughs> that's an Tina job. She was Department of CIA. <laughs> Tina had a liquor store back then. Yeah. Liquor yeah. store, yeah. Talk about your liquor store. Well, I was growing up, I was not even 18 yet. And then her mom started working at Utoda. And I asked uh, my brother, you know, her, her dad, I said, I want to work. I said, no, you cannot work because parents, are, you know, your parents, our parents would not let you work. You're too dangerous. You're a girl. I said, no, that's okay. I'm 18. I can do that. So I asked her mom, can I train in her shop? She's a trainer manager at Utoda. That's where we get clothes. And then, it, and I, like, a weekend I go to school and a weekday and a weekend I spend at her night at her mom apartment so I can go to work with her in the morning because I don't have, we don't have a car drive. So I always have to take classes there house and then work the weekend with her mom, try to help her mom out just to make And how old were you then at that time, Aunt Tina? That's in an 80. That like, um, that were you a teenager? Were you in your early 20s? I just turned 18. Because you have to be 18 to sell beer. But when you came to the U.S., how old? When I came to the United States, I was like 13, go to 14. Mm -hmm. And and you know, like, we come from a rich family, so my parents don't let people, I don't let children go to work because everything is dangerous. The only thing, my brother, because he married, so he can hunt his own, his own family. But, like, everything, like, no, no, you cannot do that. He actually had to drive me to go to work. And they picked me up because he said, this is dangerous, but I did determine to make my own money so I can spend all my clothes and my fashion. Yes, girl. Yes, of course you did. Um, yeah. Like, I'm just like against all the rules, Asian rules. And I think I'm the only one. And Tina, are you, because obviously we know from watching the show and, and, and just seeing you, you're obviously... Uh, your own individual, you, you, you don't even, you know, come off as the average Asian, let alone a Vietnamese woman. Is that, are you the black sheep in your family? <laughs> like how, how, what's your mom like? What are the people around you like in your family? Totally opposite of what I am. I'm just me. Like when I was 16, I want to do my own thing. My mom said, no. My dad always said, oh my God, if you act like that, you're never going to get married. Nobody want to marry you. I said, who care? Why do I want to get married? Why do I have to like do that, do this? Why? I'm so what? They don't like that. They're lost. I can find my own thing. Exactly. <laughs> yes. No, no, we're not talk like that. The Vietnamese girl, oh. you're supposed to be humble. You're supposed to be nice. As a, for what? For who? Let me. I don't want to leave like that. I don't want to leave like that. I don't know why. It's going to be, the end of the day, it's going to be my life. It's the guy that I want to <laughs> sleep with, not 
Somebody else that tell me who to sleep with and how to sleep with. <laughs> and how to sleep with. And I say, oh my God, dimmer down. No, no, you're right. You're right. And you remind me of this famous quote by Cher. I'm probably misquoting it a tiny bit, but Cher was asked, you know, um, what kind of rich, successful man would she want to date? And she said, I am a rich, successful man. And I think that that's, you know, that's such a powerful reminder that we are whatever that title should be. And it doesn't have to be with gender. And so when you came over here, Aunt Tina, was it, I mean, most people know the boat people story where you immigrate here via boat or escape communism for you. What was, what was that journey like? I thought it's a trip, just a vacation. So you came on by boat as well. Yeah. And and we've been here just like we're on vacation. I remember my mom, like, in April, it's not even summer yet. And she said, let's go to to the beach house, to the beach place. That's where my sister, you know, uh, placed it. I said, in April? I said, oh yeah, we're rich. We can take off school anytime. I said, you sure school does that? They said, yeah. So he just, they just, I'm so happy that they say, no more school for you people. That's it, you have a summer. And he said, be sure, pack what you like. Pack some kind of pajama, uh, whatever you, you know, like to wear around. Guess what I packed? What'd you pack? All books. <laughs> really? I read novels. I read comics. I collect all my money, my allowance. I buy books. And I like my book is my fortune. It's my. So you're supposed to pack light to keep this boat afloat, and you pack books? Books. <laughs> my favorite book, my favorite novels. How and sweet. Without, you know, like we, we have maids. So the maid carries the back to the car, and I walk in, and my, my mom doesn't know what's going on. Is he? I think she expects everybody to carry clothes. Wait a minute. I can't picture the idea of being wealthy, but also escaping by boat. Did your guys' boat look a little bit more like a Royal Caribbean? Like, how was Not your boat shaped? Not a normal shaped? boat. Like a yacht? Not a normal boat. <laughs> my, my brother-in-law, he's the captain of the ship, the warship. Maybe. Okay, so he pretty much, he pretty much control. So that ship is going to be our place uh, or... Another word is more like an owl trailer. That's where we're going to carry. Okay, it. yeah. Your shelter. We don't escape with our stuff. We have maid. We have TV. We have furniture. We have antique. We have everything. It's, that, art. it's like Hoa's art. Like the whole art. Yeah. <laughs> we use that as a thing because we already know. But we try to make it uh, We try to make it very low profile because we cannot just go get a plan. Oh, buy a boat because that's not good. Because my dad trained in America uh-huh. in 68 and 71 for the war. So our family, because my grandfather was a political lobbyist, mm-hmm. they had some information what was going to happen. We prepared and to leave. my dad's younger sister, the second one, Goto, was married to this Navy ship captain. Mm-hmm. So my family hustled him and said, hey, you know, you need to park that ship right here. <laughs> my we dad's like, the ship for us. So basically they put mom in there yeah. and they put, they put sugar in the mom. So like mm-hmm. all the cousins wouldn't eat that. That's how my grandma is. She's like, I'm going to put sugar in the fish sauce. So you don't touch my fish sauce. Yes. So oh God. She's Petty Crocker food. original right there. That is so awesome. My God. I hear from the new home right here. Though. But it's so yeah, funny. Hey, Gina, Gina, it's a funny part is when we get on the boat, and guess what? My mom, she put everybody in little container with gold in there, in, in you know, in our pack, backpack. And I will carry, I said, this is too heavy. I don't want to carry this. I throw it back. <laughs> my mom said, pick that back up and keep walking. I said, oh my God, 
I do not want to carry back. Why don't you just tell one of those may carry for me? Because I do not, because I already have book. I don't want that. <laughs> and I almost pulled a container. You know, Sugi Go, I don't know if you know that. That everybody have some of them in there. I almost throw it out. It's too heavy. I don't even know where the hell going. I thought, why do we want to that's kind of milk? I don't want to. And Tina, I really can't wait till you meet my mom, Mama Mai, someday because she has a similar story. When she escaped, she what she also was tricked because she was the youngest and you know yeah. Vietnamese parents they treat the boys and the girls very differently the girls they're just like let's keep you safe and unscared because you're going to cause more of a ruckus not realizing we could be absolute assets to an escape would be so clever but my mom she was given sleeping pills so through the two days at sea she just slept the majority of the time so does she, she doesn't remember the treacherous waves and things that my uncles had to navigate but my grandmother hid bars of gold, one ounce each inside of her sandals. Wow. And my mom didn't know. So when she, they were rescued by the US Navy, the US Navy took off their shoes and gave them like comfortable clothing to wear and, and pajama pants. So my mom's sitting there trying to figure out how to eat a pancake for the first time that they served her. And my grandmother came over and said, hey, my, which is in Vietnamese means like, yo, where are your sandals? And she's like, I don't know, you know, they, like, you know, the white guys took it, they took it away. The way my grandmother flipped out and went up to every single sail, sailor man to say, where are the shoes? And they were like, okay, she wants the shoes, get the shoes, where's the kid's shoes? They all went dumpster diving to look for all the rags and the clothes that they had thrown off because they put my family in nice clothing. Sure enough, dug up the sandals. My grandfather pried it open with the screwdriver and, and saw you know, one ounce of gold and took the sandal and hit my mom with it in front of him. <laughs> Which I'm not going to translate. If you're Vietnamese, you'll just my know. Mom said, just shut yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Carry on. I said, no, I don't want. And I pulled it out and put it, boom. And I hear the big noise. And then she started looking around because we have maid, we have servant, we have like all kind of the Navy people, the sailor, we don't want their attention because they only know us traveling. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's really important to to really acknowledge the journey of the Vietnamese family, even when you're American born like myself. There is a reason why the hustle is so hard. There is a reason why this survival mentality is ingrained in us. We do not take anything for granted. We absolutely love to save and preserve family comes first. But that journey and that escape for all of us is what is what initiates that and is planted as a seed. But with you guys being so beautiful and successful, it, it's it's very important to remember why the hoes became what they are and how you guys stick together as a successful unit as you do today. So I'm going to take a break, but when we come back, I want to talk about what it looks like to be a hoe today. Talk about what your daily lifestyle is and how your life has changed now that you're doing this show. So welcome back, everybody. Clearly, I am just right here joined with Leslie, Washington, Judy, and Aunt Tina from House of Ho. I am so honored to have you guys here. You guys are an exciting breakthrough in television today, the first of many things. So for you guys, what is your life like right now? I know the show is going to be explosive, and, and, and by the time this podcast airs, everybody will have known about it. But so far, what has the buzz been like? Because the Asian community is very quiet, and we're not very showy. And we like to hide from the government and from the judgment of other people. So what has this been like from you guys? 
Yeah, especially for you, Les, because you're new to the, I mean, you're new to the newest to the family, but also new to this television world. Right. Um, it's It's been a shock for me. I mean, I still have, I still work 40 hours a week and I still work now. So, I mean, to me, it's been, you know, hair and makeup while I'm working and then running in between meetings to film and to do interviews. So it's been a little bit crazier. Absolutely. When When you obviously got married to Washington, you didn't think that there was ever going to be this as the next transition to your life with him, right? Like you never pictured a television show. I was trying to get it normal. Like I just wanted it normal. And I was trying to get him to be normal. You know, just a normal husband. Wait, which part of normal did you think you were going to get out of this man you married? I'm not sure. He's very everything but normal. I know. <laughs> nothing, nothing but normal. She's from Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Oh, I gotta say. Exactly. That's what I want. Got it. So you being thrown into this is, is, as fortunately for us, part of the humor that we get to see from House of Ho. So for you, um, what is it like to marry into the Ho family? For those of us who, who, you know, who don't know this experience, what, what was it like meeting Washington? And then what is that transition like becoming a Ho? And what does that mean? Like, what does that become for you that you weren't before? Well, when I first met Washington, you know, it was, he's, larger than life, you know, that, so that was how our, some of our dating world was larger than life. Everything was- Give me an example. Give us the Cinderella story. We all want to know. What's it like dating a rich man? So, so on dates, you know, I, was, I just graduated pharmacy school. I still had loans to pay, you know, and I was very independent. I still am very independent. And I wanted to pay everything by myself. I was going to let no man pay for, you know, no, you can have your Chanel bag back. But our date nights- Wait, we give it back? Yeah, well, he'd let me carry Yeah, give, give it back. Because I, I want to be, I didn't want to feel indebted. You know, we weren't engaged. We weren't married. And I felt like, okay, that's such a huge amount. I mean, a Chanel bag. I would save up for a Tory Burch bag. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that was so big for me at the time. And so a Chanel bag, I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's just so much. I didn't want to feel indebted to somebody that I wasn't engaged to or, you know, uh, married to. And I didn't want to feel like I was a gold digger. And I didn't want that. You know, on because I worked so hard to be a pharmacist, and I worked so hard through school that I did not want that attached to me, dating a guy and then carrying his, you know, whatever. So our our date nights, he would send me off to um, he'd tell me to go to Tootsie's, this little boutique, and he'd have the stylist there, and she he'd called ahead of time, and I got new dresses and shoes. I know the sweetest. That's so romantic. Wait, he wait. A man who buys things for you is one thing, but a man who kind of styles you and buys them for you is a whole nother enchilada. I'd be surprised every date that we, because he'd have something planned and I had no idea what it was because we were dating long distance. I was living in Dallas at the time, would come down here every other weekend to see him and he would just, I would, you know, go to Tootsie's first and his stylist there would would know what our date was going to be. So whether it was like, you know, hiking, it was like cute, you know, or we went to the rodeo once and I had a cute little cowboy outfit. So whatever, I mean, it was just so fun, you know, because I didn't know what the date was. And then I could kind of guess with the outfits and, you know, just dressing up. Washington, you're so romantic. This is blowing me away right here. This is awesome. Yeah, I was, you know, totally, you know, thinking this is marriage material from the time I met her. I was a little scared at first and uh, apprehensive. Uh, (laughs) Um, But I, you know, when she moved here, I knew that she believed in me and, you know, with 
at the time with whatever I had, I had to at least shower her or let her know I love her. Right. I just needed her to be a little patient with me. Wow. And I imagine the reason why you got a little nervous, tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine if you are as fun and outgoing as you are and people know that you're wealthy, then lots of women will just kind of make themselves available to you. But sounds like for Leslie, she was independent. She wasn't accepting everything with thirst. She seemed like she was really, you know, humble about what you were giving her, but also like still, she's like, I'm on my path. Don't sway me from what I've accomplished from myself. So that kind of, it, it makes her such a much more, um, a much more aspirational person as a, as a woman and as a partner in your life. Right. I mean, I had to respect that she could be patient enough to, you know, be independent and take care of herself. I remember one of our first conversations before she moved to Houston and I hadn't dated a Vietnamese girl in my life. Whatever the ones that tell people that we were just like dating, but this was a girlfriend. And what I found out was that number one, she didn't need me financially. I said, look, if you're my girlfriend, I'm trying to build this company right now. And you know, Obama's the president, Obamacare came out. My Cobra's me 1500 bucks a month. Please let me be your dependent. And you know, I'll let you be my dependent. And since I lost so much money before, you'll get the tax credits. And my wife goes, what do you mean? And I was like, well, like if we're successful together financially, my dad said, that's a bonus. I know you're gonna be a good mother. You know, your mother has sacrificed a lot for you. Your brother and sister have to go to school. Your father is such a great guy. I met him. He is very proud of his kids. And your parents, they worked hard, but they, after you guys graduated college, they did the same thing as my parents. They laid off a little bit on their business so that they could spend time with y'all. And, you know, because she was financially independent, it was just a bonus. And I thought we could build a future together. And, you know, that's what she's done. And I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. It looks like you guys are doing a great job. I mean, especially to be able to take on a, to be a, a reality television um, um, personality that, that can add a strain to a lot of relationships. So for you guys to have started out and really built that foundation, that's going to, that's going to be very key as you guys become very famous and known for the show. And what about for you, Judy? Like what is, what has life been like for you? I know this is still the early stages, but once this starts to crack open, are you afraid of any criticism? Have people, you know, given you the side eye or any shade for <laughs> becoming a reality star? Well, you know, the show just came out today, so it's probably too early for that, but um, I'm a much more private person than Washington. I didn't really do social media until this show, like a few days ago, I started promoting the show. Before that, I had no social media presence. Um, so far, we've only had good feedback. I'm not afraid of criticism because I, I, I already know the person that I am. I spoke my truth. I put it out there on the show, and I can live with that. So whatever anybody else to say, that's none of my business. And what do you guys think about like when it comes to stereotypes, either stereotypes for being Vietnamese or stereotypes for being wealthy? What, what kind of stereotypes are you, have you faced and maybe that you're looking forward to breaking by just being who you are on this show? I think people always assume that I'm just this spoiled little rich girl, very entitled and snooty and that, you know, I don't talk to other people. I just think I'm an introvert. I'm pretty shy. So I think, uh, but on the show, you know, you forget that the cameras are there after a while. So I really did open up a lot. And you I really have a likable personality on the show. Like oh, I don't get any yeah. of that at all. 
I just hope that, you know, they can see that I'm not what they would assume of me. You know, I, I went through law school. I went to a really good school. I'm just like, I was more than anything. I was just like a nerdy little Asian girl. And, you know, perhaps some people saw that as just me being quiet, as being standoffish, but I don't think I am that type of person. Right. And as far as dating, like what box would you check? Searching, satisfied and single, vibrators doing enough. Thanks, but no thanks. Like, where are you at? I, I, I have a boyfriend and I'm very satisfied. And, and he's, do we know him? I haven't gotten to that part of the show yet. I I think he starts on about episode three. Oh, you dragged his ass into it too. (laughs) I love it. I didn't drag him on there. The whole way, baby. (laughs) I hope you're up. Now, I didn't drag him on there because I said, if you're not going to do the show, then they're going to have me single and dating on this show. He's like, sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I was like, this is going to be an Asian bachelorette if you don't do the show. So he was like, I'm on. (laughs) Yeah. So guys, for a lot of our fans out here who've never watched a reality series that has to do with around an Asian family and we got to get to know the hoes better, like, tell us why should we watch this show? What, what, what is the, the best part about this? That Number you- one, hot Asian girl. Ah. <laughs> Number two, you get to see love, drama, sorrow, sadness. And then you, when you, when you're done with the show, you're going to have, so much hope in your life, whether it comes from business or love or relationships with your family. And for me, that's what I like to see when I watch a reality show. I think we really need a show like this, especially during this time of COVID, you know, where everything is just 2020 has just been crazy. So I think to see like a family come from rags to riches, you know, and then not just the wealth, but just overall family. And I hope people can relate to that now being at home and away from their family so much. You know, I didn't get to go home for, for Thanksgiving or Christmas. So to, to not see your family so often, I know so many people feel that same way. I think seeing our show kind of brings a sense of family, especially during this time. Absolutely. Well, I know for me, not only does it excite me personally to see another Vietnamese family rise and be able to share what our culture is like, but I really love... Just the authenticity of your characters. I can see that you guys are exactly what we saw on TV. The hot mess and everything included. And also, for many cultures that are similar to the Vietnamese culture, um, we the biggest problem and opportunity for us to work on is to stop being so perfect. A lot of Asian families, we all, all families of any background have the same issues, whether it's family disagreements, financial stress, dating outside the race, dating within the race and the judgment from the family, um, people making mistakes, uh, even things like illnesses and addictions, all of it is hidden in Asian families. And personally, the reason why I have this podcast and also my Hello Honey series, it's because I want to make sure that people know like, even though Jeannie Mai is whatever you see on The Real or Dancing with the Stars, I'm not perfect. And my mom's batshit crazy. And because of that, we are authentic to each other and we own our truths and we want to get better from the ways that we've been raised. Just because you were raised a certain way doesn't mean that that's the only way it should stay for generations to come. There are adjustments that you guys will make from what your parents did, things that you will embrace from what your parents taught you, and then turn around and bring out beautiful people to, to, to kind of mix in our society, along with the hilariousness we're going to see about your crazy selves on the show. So I'm really thankful that you guys decided to do this. I wish you the best 
best of luck. Where can people follow you individually as we fall in love with you through the show? You can follow me at Washington Ho on Instagram. Okay. I'm Judy Ho on Instagram. Aunt Tina, who just started her page today. It's Aunt Tina, but then there's three A's on the end, triple A. Because- <laughs> like Aunt Tina. Yeah. <laughs> I got it, you guys. Of course I do. Well, know that you have all the utmost love and support from me here. And one day, when this COVID thing is over, I'm going to get our families together, okay? That'll be a whole nother show of its own. (laughs) Thank you guys for being a part of this. And for my fam out there, please do check out House of Ho on HBO Max. And do follow these guys on Instagram. And do rate and review this episode because if you want to see more behind the scenes with the House of Ho, maybe we can have them back as we watch the episodes and get to know the real truth behind the scenes. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thank Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey. Listen, honey, listen, honey.